Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. The show is on tour this week as we're serving up a delicious Piedmontese plate of culture from the stunning northern Italian city of Turin. Last week marked Turin Art Week and so on today's programme we're going to take you from dawn to dusk in that city. Spend the day with us at a contemporary art fair that's been an important part of the cultural calendar since 1994. Then change into your dancing shoes as we take you backstage and onto the dance floor of the Sea to Sea Festival. Now in its 21st year the festival has come of age as it brings together an exciting plethora of avant pop musical acts. And sure there might even have been time for a bottle of Barolo as we made our merry way across town. First up, let's head to Artissima, Italy's most prestigious contemporary art fair. This year's edition brought together 181 Italian and international galleries, and the fair is known for its role in helping boost the up-and-coming artistic community in Italy and further afield. In fact, this year, 39 galleries made their Artissima debut, and quite unusually for an art fair, Artissima riffs off a very different theme every year. This year's was entitled Relations of Care. On the bustling preview day, I grabbed a few minutes with Artissima director Luigi Fassi and I began by asking him to explain this year's theme. Yes, it's kind of a tradition now, which is growing and expanding. The title of the, the theme is basically Relations of Care and it comes from uh, a contemporary Brazilian anthropologist teaching at the university in Sao Paulo. And in a recent writing by him, uh, Renzo Today was claiming that the crisis we as Westerners are going through are a sign of a problem with our imagination, as a lack of imagination, a lack of imagination in terms of like envisioning a different futures, like on a personal, social and political level. So he's like, why don't we look at, for instance, indigenous communities in Brazil to understand a different way of nurturing our imagination? And he's like, indigenous community learned from always in order to survive, you know, to put care at the very beginning of any other knowledge process. So with no care, there is no knowledge, no survival. And he's like, uh, we should be humble enough in terms of like uh, putting care as our priority. And I thought that this is really interesting because when Renzo today opens up the discourse towards art, he's like, this would be a revolution. The idea to, you know, think in terms of care before anything else. He makes a very clear example. We never knew so much about forests from all possible perspectives, but we have never been destroying forests as much as now. So we give an idea of how knowledge is going into a completely different direction than care. And I think what is interesting when it comes to art is that he says there are a few disciplines like art for sure that offer us the chance to think in those terms, going into a care, into a relations of care directions precisely because art is all about envisioning new ideas, visions, a different future. It's a way to, you know, heal our imagination, you know, through art. So if artism is all about relations of cares in terms of sharing ideas. I mean, it's not a blue chip, I would say, kind of art fair. It's a fair which offers... A it's a very lovely thing. We've spent a lot of time, we spent a week in Paris, a week in London for free, for Paris Plus also. This has got a lovely and notable difference to the atmosphere um, here on, on opening day, that it's not a feeding frenzy. It is, um, people are looking and talking 
people are reaching into their pockets, but maybe they're not, not for their checkbooks. Who knows? But you're doing something wonderful and slightly different here, right? I think, you know, it's a human understanding of what the art market is about. I mean, we want to be very welcoming towards collector because I think it's important also to make grow a new generation of collectors. And if you want to have that, you need to be attractive. You need to be human. You need to make people understand that they can buy art even if you're not billionaire. I think you don't have to think in terms of investment here. It's all about passion. And this is why even, you know, also technically speaking, well-traveled collectors they invest the time and energy into coming to Artissima because they know they're going to surely come across uh, galleries they didn't know before, uh, artists they were not familiar before. So you could say, we can sum it up by saying it's all about not seeking for confirmations, but seeking for discoveries. And what a wonderful setting in which to make some new discoveries. That was Artissima director Luigi Fassi. Now let's head down onto the floor and into one of the booths. Torinese Gallery Guido Costa has been in operation since 1998. And Signor Costa himself, the founder and director, tells us what effect the fair has when it comes to town. For me, as a touring gallerist, the week of Artissima is more or less the main point of the, the year. And I try to focus all my activity. I mean, the best show in the gallery and the best selection in the booth for present what we are used to do in town since so long time without have so big exposure in international terms. I am not like uh, art fair guys. I mean, uh, usually I refuse to be part of art fairs. I take part only for Paris Photo for a long time and in Artissima for like 20 years. But, you know, the situation actually is that you are forced to do an art fair because it's also the only moment in which, in a small town like Turin, you may have the opportunity to step in. International collectors, curator, museum director that usually come in Turin but pass by so fast. This is a really great opportunity for the town. And I love this week. It's so strong and it's also super tired like a moment because uh, you have to play to so many tables and but that's fine yeah there are dinners there are drinks there are lots of parties going on obviously to celebrate the art week there's lots of private views and openings during artissima but you mentioned it as a focal point for curators museum directors collectors all the rest of it so it's a great sort of talking shop and a market i suppose as well I wondered if you could talk about that, to the difference that you see between Artissima and perhaps other art fairs. This seems to be a celebration of Turin's Art Week, where the galleries are putting on a fair rather than maybe the other way around. Yeah, if we talk about market, Artissima is not exactly a big marketplace, but uh, is really important as a network place because, uh, you know, the nature of the art fair that... uh, small galleries or underground galleries, research galleries and so on, give the possibility to curator and museum director and people that work in the system to have a, a quite interesting view on the what happened now in, in, in art. And so is a balancing point of view, you know. In the market is so and so, but in terms of network is brilliant. And this is the real soul of the fair, 
that uh, give also the possibility to defer to survive so long time with so big uh, results. For that reason, I love to be part of that. And, Guido, your, your gallery is a specialist in making sort of site-specific work. People make work for the space that you have here in Turin. An art fair is a very different beast, putting together a booth. In what way can you represent what you do in the four walls of your, your bricks-and-mortar gallery uh, here at the fair? It's a tough challenge, but maybe a fun one to, to meet uh, for Artissima. Yeah, but for example, in Artissima, I am used to show only relics of the exhibition that I am used to organize in the gallery. And so my small group of clients are interested in the really deep and complex installation or projects. And so I work more in that field. In the art fair, I prefer to show something that in a way is sellable, but at the same time is representative of, uh, of what I did in, in the gallery. For example, I don't know, this year, uh, front of all this quantity of objects, artworks, art fairs, uh, material in town, I decide to, to organize in, in the gallery a show that is invisible because I will show on Saturday three really important artwork of Italian artist Gino De Dominicis. They are seminal works from the end of the 60s, uh, beginning of the 70s, quite icons of the conceptual Italian art that are invisible. And so an empty gallery, a front of booths, pack of material. And this is my idea to work also, in a way, against what is presented, on, you are forced to present in a, in a commercial issues. We might say that you are literally teasing us, Guido. <laughs> Gallerist Guido Costa there. And now let's hear from an artist. The British artist Callie Spooner now resides in Turin and her work is rooted in her training in philosophy and her practice includes essays, multimedia installations and performances. At this year's Artissima, she presented a work originally made a few years back. And here she tells me a bit more about that work and how the context around it has shifted since its creation. I mean, I made the work in 2017. I made it around the time that the world was undergoing a lot of different changes. I wouldn't just sort of attribute it in particular to any specific particular movements, but of course the Brexit was happening, you know, Donald Trump was being elected. There was some massive seismic shifts happening in the democratic and political fabric. And I was in particular interested in what was happening, I suppose, at our infospheric kind of level which is to say our social media level the way that we were communicating the way in which language was doing the rounds in like very very different ways and how that language appeared to be undergoing a certain degree of, of damage perhaps to do with some sound bites that were circulating but didn't mean anything perhaps to do with a particular kind of rhetoric that certain people in power were using to manipulate the direction of certain events and it just struck me as a, a moment of submersion and a kind of a, a completely saturated condition that it was very hard to escape from at the time in 2017. The work hasn't been shown really since 2017-18 so it was a surprise to be invited to show that particular work here in Torino and when it was installed I was definitely struck by the fact that that infospheric condition if you like has 
possibly just exacerbated and got even more extreme at the level of language and the movement and behavior of communication and information. And we should say that your work is called Soundtrack for a Troubled Time. It sounds like language being waterboarded, losing its meaning to my ears at least. And you're right, we might be we might be back in a similar moment. I wanted to ask you about some of your other work, which has been said to be critical of sort of economies, high-performance economies, and these these sorts of things. I don't, I don't know whether these are art critical phrases that have been placed upon your work or whether they start out from that place for you as an artist. But we're in a city, Turin, which obviously we're in spitting distance of the old Fiat factory here. We're in a former high-performance economy, I suppose. Does that play into some of the work that you see being made or exhibited here in Turin as well? Do you feel a kind of fellow feeling of some themes for you and other artists in this city? I mean, I've been making work for almost 20 years now and I began making work in the city of London, you know? And so my kind of background, if you like, or an interest in what it means for things to be kind of heavily financialized and and neoliberalized, if you like, really comes from being a British person and, and seeing that happening. I made Soundtrack for a Troubled Time more or less while I was still living in London. Yeah, I mean, I think that that has played a big part in sort of seeing how economization and, and finance and, and business rubrics do filter into sort of everything, <laughs> into everyday life, particularly in the UK. And I think now I've moved to Torino, uh, it's definitely a moment where I'm sort of saying, okay, so we've spelt that out in a number of different works. And now what can we do to try and resist resist that condition and, and make work that moves and behaves in a way that doesn't perhaps capitulate to that. So work of resistance, you're making different work. Well, maybe you can tell us since you've been here, I don't know how long you've been a Turin resident, Callie, but um, the sort of work you're making, does it differ? Is your mind moving in different directions? Is your kind of creative language and your creative, well, let's use the word rubric as you have. Is it doing different things here in, in Northern Italy? I think so. I mean, I was living in Athens, Greece for four or five years before I came here to Turin. And that was a big, you know, that was a big change from being in London and so on. But I think, yeah, I'm, I'm totally at the moment trying to understand how it can be possible within the movement and the behavior of work and in the fabric of the materials that you're handling and working with to find, yeah, to, to not just kind of restage a kind of a, a particular socio-political condition but to actually find ways of existing within that and and sort of undoing that where possible and that's um yeah and I think being in Torino is definitely it's always good to be away from the place you're from you know like a little bit of displacement is always helpful in terms of yeah shaking up your work and things taking a new direction which I'm grateful for Torino for that. Now, as the light fades and the night draws in, it's time to loosen up and head to C2C Festival. This was formerly known as Club to Club, and the event turned 21 this year. Before we get stuck into some of the music, though, here's C2C founder Sergio Riccardioni with a pocket history of the festival. The festival is now 21 years old. We should add two years 
during the pandemic. We did two, like, uh, let's say, alternative editions of the festival during the pandemic. It was born in Torino at the early uh, zeros. It was born in the club. That's why it was called Club to Club. It's uh, like it was the result of an amazing club scene happening in Torino at the time. And during these two decades, the festival has grown to, it's become a, another kind of festival. It's an indoor urban festival in amazing venues in Torino that is like one of the, I always say this, it's an Italian best kept secret. It's a totally different experience to outdoor festivals. It's a, not a summer festival, it's an autumn festival, indoor in an amazing venue, in an amazing city with amazing architecture, amazing food, amazing people. And uh, what you experience is really like a trip in the world of music and also contemporary arts because this is the week of Torino contemporary art that is one of the most important culture weeks in Italy. So, I mean, it's completely different experience, but I guess it's better. CTC's Sergio Riccardioni there. And now to the music. Rashika Nea hails from New York City, and her astonishing second album, Heaven Come Crashing, is a unique expression of euphoria and intimacy. I caught up with Rashika ahead of her C2C performance and began by asking this quite hypnotic performer how much she's focusing on the audience when she's up on stage. Honestly, when I'm performing, I focus not so much on the audience. I'm kind of staying in my own psychic space on stage. That's kind of how I grapple with like being in front of a crowd personally, is like being in my self-connection or something. And it's something that I get to share with other people in that moment. But um, I hope they kick it off for me when I start performing. But yeah, I guess when I'm playing, I'm kind of just trying to be in my own space in a way. As part of touring, I guess part of it is, I mean, CTC is, has got an avant-garde reputation and indeed it bears itself out in the bookings and the way that the, the, the venues and the way that uh, the way that the festival is structured. And it's in a city and it's kind of in the North European winter. There's certain things about it which have got a kind of, which make you focus on the music, I suppose. So that there's something there. But as an artist and touring and, and as part of a, a nine-day European tour at the moment, how do you keep your eye on the ball, as it were, musically and keep yourself focused and interested as you tour across various venues and cities? How do I keep myself focused? I mean... It's just such a hectic few weeks every time I'm playing a string of shows. It's difficult not to be just pulled along in the like propulsive current or something. I guess it's always more a question of like, how do I keep myself grounded? You know, there's so much, so many people that I'm like meeting every day and like so many unfamiliar environments. I'm always just kind of trying to figure out how to create a little bit of structure for myself in a daily way, which is usually just some kind of um, morning spiritual routines or something, like doing my pujas and whatnot. That sounds to me like that's part of your music as well. Is that part of your songwriting? This kind of structure and having some spiritual connection in your morning and stuff, that, to my uninitiated ears, feels like it's born out in your music. To what extent is that the case, I wonder? Yeah, yeah, and definitely connected in some ways. Sometimes it feels almost antithetical because um, 
like writing music can almost feel um, like this compulsive behavior. I mean, in some ways, it's it's something that I try to make a routine practice. And I feel like creativity comes from having moments of revelation after like a lot of failed endeavors in a daily way. But then at the same time, a lot of the songs I write that are my favorites, I'll like start writing at 11 p.m. and then I won't stop until it's like 9 a.m. Um, and then any like routine or structure for like the next two days has just been like destroyed. So a lot of the times I feel like I have to create structure to like pull me back onto earth or something, you know. But yeah, I mean, music is definitely deeply, I don't know, metaphysical or something for me. So it's definitely all connected. I mentioned um, earlier on in our conversation, Heaven Come Crashing, the current record that you, I guess you're touring and that is out. What about the writing of that? That's, you've just told us about songwriting from late in the evening until very, you know, kind of almost late in the morning. I can sort of hear that to a certain extent in the records. And on this, on the Culture Show, we've loved listening to that record, the euphoria in it, the intimacy in it. Are those, they are performative things. You're, you're playing for yourself, I suppose, first and foremost, when you compose these, these tracks. And you've sort of said, well, when I'm touring, I can't really think about the audience because I have to get into my own headspace. Are you aware of the feeling that it gives people playing in front of people this, this music that is, yeah, at least to my ears, a mixture of intimate and then kind of, euphoric and ravey and using certain elements of that that's tough when you're in your studio or your apartment in Brooklyn making this music but are you aware of how that divide is bridged by your music between you and an audience yeah I mean I guess when I'm yeah when I'm writing it I don't really have an audience in mind but yeah when I'm performing it it's why I'm taking something that's like happening in a self-reflexive private space and then trying to make you know a collective moment out of it some kind of like yeah opening for me and other people to like step through um so when I'm thinking about like how I want like the environment and like the conditions of the performance space to feel like or what I want it to do like, I am thinking a lot about the audience in that way, but whenever I'm, like, actually on the stage, I feel like I have to uh, put up some kind of psychic wall or it's, like, I don't know, it freaks me out. <laughs> That was Rashika Naya, and Monocle on Culture highly recommends dipping into that stunning record called Heaven Come Crashing. And finally, Barcelona-based composer Maria Herlop is a classically trained pianist and experimental musician. Her music is unusual, vibrant, bristlingly unique. Against the immersive sounds of her sound check, we caught up with Marina in her dressing room just ahead of her taking to the stage on Friday evening. And I began by asking her whether she has any pre-performance rituals. 
more than ritual i think that i try to achieve a mindset that is in a sweet spot between being like emotional and open to what's going on as in you cannot be super cold or a robot or too technical you need to be open to emotions but also not too much because then the technique of what you do can get a bit twisted or you know can be worse if you're too emotional you know so i see it as the mood that a fighter can have in a fight you know like really focused and really like alert of your surrounding and what's going on and observing everything but also like cold enough to you know to think with your mind if you're too emotional if you if you're too not emotional and too cold then the quality of the gig is is not perfect and you mentioned emotion and that is something that your music has well has so much has so many different influences and so many different sounds textures it's so rich and layered but the emotional side of it seems to me catches me every time i hear it is that something that you look down sometimes at the audience and you kind of catch them having a moment with you you lock eyes with people it's a tough thing when you're in a big theater a big dark theater like this but is that something that you've seen in the past that you seek out when you perform in front of people it's it's sort of start to ha- happening right now like in the, the last two years that i've got to realize that uh, listeners and people that come to the shows really can get moved and emotional with the music and so i i try to look at them as much as possible because i i want to grasp what's going on and I feel very lucky you know and grateful for everything so I I try to catch those memories and keep them with me and I try to make eye contact and have live the experience with them but at the same time sometimes that makes me feel too emotional and want to cry so I don't I cannot you know I cannot get too emotional yeah. because then so for example sometimes uh, if my mom comes to the show or my dad and I see them then I I cannot look at them because then I you know I want to cry <laughs> and hitting some of those notes is a kind of act of um is an act of courage in a way isn't it to do that in front of people to hit some of those high notes with your singing voice i mean that can do strange things to your uh, to your emotions as well to your eyes and to the human soul right there's something about the playing of the music perhaps as well yeah it depends every time uh, it depends on what has happened before the show it depends on the mood you're having in that period of your life but usually i tend to get emotional after the gig like the day after i let my emotions like go but on the day of the gig is that like you need to be so focused that you cannot afford to get so emotional you know because it's it's a mood also of alert you know like anything could happen so you need to be thinking of so many things so emotions cannot navigate perfectly that day you- i like your fighting instinct i like your fighting analogy yeah it's like actually it's like it's i've never f- mm, been a fighter literally but um metaphorically i think so and when i go on stage i really feel that i'm going to fight against no one but it's the mood of you know i used to go on stage feeling that i was like defending myself like i was protecting and there was like a shield and lately it's like there's been this blooming like in terms of stage presence and now i feel i'm going to attack 
obviously not but it's like I feel like but because if you if you have that mood people feel confident too if you suffer on stage and you show your vulnerability that you're having a bad time because technical problems or whatever then people you know they are very open to because they come to the gig to feel emotional so then start to they start to feel bad as well with you. So you cannot, even if something's going wrong, you need to fight it, you know, you, you need to face it and you need to give your best. Here we are at CTC tonight in Torino. What sort of set have you put together? How do you choose what to play for this audience as opposed to, I know you played in Spain, you played Sonar, you, I think we're going to Buenos Aires to play the, the Sonar there. Slightly different vibes, perhaps, maybe more dancey, less experimental. How do you choose this, a set for this time in northern Italy in the autumn actually as well usually like we perform the same set because well it took me a while to make the music and choose what songs we're going to perform and put them together and make like some narrative into the show so once I I said that it's like now I'm on tour and you know I'm on the go I'm like I'm in the wheel you know so I don't have like you're not mixing it up every night no 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 because it's it is what it is and so we deliver that and when I have some time then I will make new music music and we'll make another set that will stay like like that for a year or whatever you know so and we're so looking forward to you coming on stage we're going to catch a little bit of that but what happens afterwards how do you celebrate a great gig with your group and with your friends with your family with you know how does that does all hell break loose afterwards or are you very controlled and you let air out of the balloon very slowly how does it work it depends on if we have another show soon. Like if I had another show in two days, then I wouldn't let myself uh, loosen up so much. But as I'm not having a show until Friday. So yeah, tonight I'm planning to party a little bit. I mean, I, I woke up at four, so I don't know. The adrenaline is going to help for a bit, you know, but then the adrenaline, when it starts to leave, it's difficult to stay awake. But I will try my best. Like I really want to celebrate. And also I have some friends here that I reunite with tonight and I'm very excited about that. Marina hell up there. And that is all for this week. After the festivities, we're off for an early night. My thanks to all our guests in Turin and their thought-provoking conversations. Grazie tutti. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu. Special thanks to Jack Dewars for editing this week's episode. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank <laughs> you.